The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a filmmaker, musician, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett, clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. This is our very first podcast. We thought it would be very appropriate to start with Dr. Janina Scarlett's favorite fandom, which is Harry Potter. Yes, I absolutely love Harry Potter. It is my top favorite fandom of all time. I'm a proud Slytherin. Thank you very much. Um, Gryffindor. <laughs> yes, and I married a Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sounded Slytherin right there when I said that a little bit. <laughs> what was your first experience with Harry Potter? My first experience was actually seeing the first film in the movie theaters. Um, I've seen several films before reading the books, um, and I was absolutely enamored by them and wanted to learn more. I was in graduate school when the movie started coming out, so I had very little time to dedicate to reading the books Um, but as soon as I was able to I devoured them I couldn't get enough I couldn't put them down there were many many sleepless nights I'm sure many Potterheads can relate to that Um, the last chapter of the last book took me over a month to finish because I didn't want the story to end me neither I love the books the movies everything Um, in fact I didn't want it to ever end but Luckily for us, Fantastic Beast and all that stuff, it's still going. I am so excited. I can't wait for next year for the next installment of Fantastic Beasts. Yay, Fantastic Beasts. So you're a psychologist, and you take a therapeutic approach to pop culture, comics, superheroes, movies, TV shows. What I want to ask you is, can you give us an example of how you might use or have used Harry Potter in therapy? Absolutely. What I really love about the Harry Potter series is how well they lend themselves to psychology. In fact, J.K. Rowling seems to have been way ahead of her time in how knowledgeable she was when writing these books about mental health and about the treatment of mental health conditions. So there are many, many different representations of mental health struggles. For example, in book three, we learn about different kinds of monsters like Dementors, right? Which J.K. Rowling herself has talked about uh, as being a symbol of depression. So the Dementors are these dark creatures that when they're near us, it feels like there's no hope. It feels like things will never be okay again. And for many people who've struggled with depression, that's what depression feels like. It feels empty and hopeless. Um, we are deprived of our happiest, most precious moments and memories. 
So I use this as an example in therapy to help my clients understand their own emotional struggles with depression, as well as to talk about some of the ways that we might be able to overcome depression. So what the Harry Potter books teach us is that in order to face the Dementors, we have to cast what's called a Patronus charm, right? So the Patronus charm is essentially a connection with our happiest memory, only it's a lot more than that. When Harry initially tries to cast a Patronus charm, he fails. And the reason why is because he's thinking about flying. He's thinking about um, an act that made him happy. But what ultimately helps him to cast the proper protecting Patronus charm is connecting with his parents. He doesn't actually remember his parents. He was only one when they were killed. But in being able to connect with the sense of his parents, Harry is able to actually cast a very powerful shield. So what this shows is that actually connecting not necessarily with just activities, but maybe with people that are meaningful to us, we might be able to cast a shield against depression. And um, maybe through these improved connections, we might be able to better manage our symptoms. Of course, that and chocolate tends to help. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, J.K. Rowling has come out and said that she has representations of mental health in her books. Um, you mentioned the Dementors. There's also the Boggarts. Mm-hmm. The way that I see the Boggarts is that their representation of our phobias, right? And, and they tend to take shape of our biggest fears. So for Ron, who has arachnophobia or a specific phobia where he fears spiders, um, his Boggart takes shape of a giant black widow spider. For Hermione, in the books, we learned that um, the Boggart takes shape of Professor McGonagall, who tells her that she's failed all of her exams. And for Harry, his Boggart takes shape of the Dementors. So... Uh, for all of the characters, the Boggarts represent their biggest fears, their darkest secrets, the thing that they most avoid and would not want to face. What we know is that the more we avoid certain things, the more scary they might seem. In fact, by avoiding certain items or situations, we're actually reinforcing our own belief that we're incapable of dealing with these things. And very often, our own avoidance creates the very outcome we're trying to avoid, right? So someone that's afraid of rejection for example might never invite themselves to hang out with other people or might never ask somebody out on a date only in doing so they're actually more likely to end up being alone so they're more likely to create the very outcome you're trying to avoid so professor lupin in book three actually teaches hogwarts students how to fight their own fears how to stand up to their own inner boggarts so we do that through the ridiculous spell And the way that it works is we have to actually face the boggart instead of running away from it and cast the ridiculous charm, which would cause the boggart to look silly or ridiculous. So Ron's boggart ends up being a giant spider on roller skates, so it ends up looking funny. Um, And of course, that's what we do in therapy. So my job as a therapist is to help my patients who have certain phobias and fears to face their own um, anxieties through a similar kind of exposure uh, where they would do what scares them through my assistance, through my support, and over time are able to see that the very thing they were most afraid of is actually not scary and maybe even silly or ridiculous too. Ridiculous! (laughs) I just love Harry Potter so much. (laughs) Me too. I can't get enough of it. So, I mean, what do you think it is about Harry Potter that people connect with so, you know, passionately? 
I think the universe is so deep and it has so many different characters. There's something there for everybody. I think that no matter what kind of history, what kind of background we had, there is a character or some kind of story or situation for us to identify. Um, for many people who've had abuse of childhood like Harry, Hogwarts represents safety, right? an escape into magical reality where we can be the hero of our own journey. Um, for people like Ron that maybe are overcast by um, or for, um, overshadowed by their siblings, there is an opportunity to thrive and, uh, and shine. And um, for everybody, there's somebody there that can present as uh, their own role model, maybe a magical depiction of their own story. I've heard numerous accounts of people who told me that reading Harry Potter saved their lives. Um, I had one person that told me that she was actually about to die by suicide when she was reading the Harry Potter books because she was so overwhelmed by what she was going through in her own personal life. But connecting with Harry Potter books, connecting with Harry specifically, allowed her to remain alive. She actually asked herself, what would Harry do in this situation? Wow. And she said that Harry would fight and he would not end his life and he would keep going no matter the obstacles he's facing. There's no doubt that Harry experienced a great deal of trauma. Would his trauma and experiences correspond with the criteria for PTSD? Yes. Um, as specifically, after, um, after Harry witnesses Cedric's death in the beginning of Book 5... Who are you? What do you want? Kill the spag! Um, Harry actually exhibits the classic symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. He's having nightmares. He's having flashbacks. Uh, when he sees Ron and Hermione, he's angry. He's easily startled. He's hypervigilant. Um, so he's experiencing these mood changes. And he's avoiding talking about what happened to him when he saw Ron and Hermione when he finally arrived at Sirius's house. Um, and his symptoms do, in fact, last for um, a significant en enough time to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. In order to be diagnosed, the symptoms have to last for at least one month, and Harry's symptoms do last longer than that. Um, Harry also shows similar symptoms after Dumbledore's death. About a so it does seem like at multiple points of his life, he goes through um, symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. I've been to many of your panels, obviously, and I've, I've known you for a, a long time. And you, you do talk about something that's called post-traumatic growth. Um, can you give us an example of what this is um, with Harry as an example? Absolutely. So most people have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, but not a lot of people might have heard of post-traumatic growth. But in fact, more people experience post-traumatic growth than post-traumatic stress disorder. Post-traumatic growth refers to making meaning out of someone's traumatic experience. So maybe when someone has had uh, a close run-in with death, they might reevaluate their life and decide that they're going to connect with their loved ones and maybe not work so hard and um, find meaningful connections. So for Harry, who's had multiple traumatic experiences, he finds his sense of purpose, which is to protect the world against this arch nemesis, Lord Voldemort. He wants to stand up to evil. He wants to do good. He wants to protect other people. And he wants to save his loved ones. In doing so, he's actually able to overcome and better manage some of his um, symptoms after experiencing the amount of losses that he has. So I argue that 
despite all the traumas that he's had, he's actually handled them really well. And what helped him along the way was to stay on his heroic journey and to continue staying true to his purpose. And his connection with his friends, right? Absolutely. Um, Above and beyond, we find that the biggest protective factor um, against developing mental health disorders um, is social connection. So when people are able to establish meaningful social connections with friends, with family members, they tend to function better cognitively, um, emotionally, psychologically, um, all across the way. And um, I think the fact that he had Ron and Hermione along the journey really helped Harry cope much better than if he had to do it alone. You know, it's kind of funny, speaking of these connections and stuff, I'm kind of going back to earlier in our discussion about, you know, which character you connect with more. And it's funny because I, I connect with Sirius Black so much. You know, he's this scoundrel. He's got a good balance to him. He's, you know, a really good guy. But, you know, he's also got this little mischievous side to him. I really connect with him. The connection thing just brought right, it up. This is your sense of connection. And I think I think Sirius is like the Han Solo of Harry Potter. Most definitely. And that's why I get <laughs> Han Solo too. I love Han Solo. Man. Right. And, you know, for all of us, when we're able to see ourselves in another character, we feel connected. We, we feel excited when we see them. We develop what's called parasocial relationship with those characters. It's almost like they're a friend or a family member. And that's why I think um, if we're, you know, just briefly mention Star Wars that's why episode 7 was as excruciating as it was to watch and I imagine for you um, watching Harry Potter and reading the books um, reading about Sirius's death was probably devastating almost definitely even seeing it in, I, I thought they nailed it in the movie to be honest because yes. I almost envisioned it that way the way that she wrote it I don't know and seeing Harry um, scream out for Sirius, but the fact that you couldn't hear what he was screaming oh, made it so filmmaking. powerful. Beautiful filmmaking. And I can I can absolutely relate to that. My favorite character is Snape, and um, I remember I threw the book against the wall when he was killed, and then seeing it in the movie theater, I was preemptively crying before the scene happened. And my friends were sitting on both sides of me, and they were holding my hands because I was sobbing. When the guinea was biting him, um, I it was so excruciating to watch that scene and and to see my favorite character die in this way. Yeah, Miss um, Rowling separated Hogwarts into four different houses. What message is it giving them to have this kind of separation? Um, especially, you know, I mean, for instance, Harry Potter. You know, he heard that most of the witches and wizards that went bad came from the Slytherin house, so he didn't want to be part of Slytherin, so there was that kind of stigma. So if you can go into that a little bit uh, of maybe what it could have represented for the kids. Sure. And, you know, we see this kind of separation in a lot of schools, whether it's um, private boarding schools or certain colleges. Um, There's this degree of competition where different houses or different schools within certain colleges compete with one another, and there's a lot of school pride. And there's certainly pros and cons to this. The pros are that um, it might be easier to make friends because um, the people that you're 
in the same house with, you have that stronger sense of camaraderie because you're competing for the same purpose. Um, on the other hand, um, it might increase not only competition, but sometimes even hostility toward people from other houses and might even, as you mentioned, foster certain stereotypes. So unfortunately, um, there's been this stereotype that Slytherins are all evil, right, and, and conniving. However, the, the biggest, um, most uh, valued value of of Slytherins is ambition, which uh, which is why I am a proud Slytherin myself. Um, so for me specifically, I would be a Slytherin for sure if I went to Hogwarts. Slytherin! But I would never be a Death Eater. And I think that there's a stereotype that if you belong to one, that you automatically belong to another. Yeah, it's guilty by association, that whole thing. Right, right. right. And, you know, just as people who are ambitious and not necessarily evil, um, you know, we need to remember that. Similarly, it's an assumption that people who are in Ravenclaw are stuck up, for example, or um, there, there are all these negative stereotypes that exist about each house, and then there are also some positive stereotypes. And the more we get to know people from different houses, the individuals from specific houses, the more we see their own identity and their own persona. I think there's a little bit of a danger of sorting kids as young as 11 into houses that have these specific core values, as opposed to, let's say, just blue house and red house and green house and yellow house. But houses that have these certain expectations of how your personality is going to shape up, I think there's a little bit of a danger to that because there might be almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy of going into yeah. houses like it. Um, I know certain schools separate kids by maybe some kind of a, a major, for example. So um, a junior high school I went to had three houses within it. Um, so one, the one that I was in was science, and then there was also a history one, and then there was the arts, um, including performing arts. So these three different um, schools basically within one school competed with each other, but also there was a, a sense right. of camaraderie within the school. But so there was, it was less ho- hostile, I think, because there was not an expectation of how different personalities needed to be. We were more separated by our majors, basically. My college was pretty much the same way. You know, it was separated into 10 colleges. I happened to go to the the more artsy one, but we all competed against each other, And but there was no negative stereotypes. Right, so <laughs> it was more like a friendly camaraderie and some competition. Right, yeah. yeah. It, w- it wasn't like, hey, <laughs> you're <laughs> but, ambitious because you're here, or you're right. brave because you're here, or you're right. loyal because you're here. Right. You know, this is where I actually like what um, Ilvermoney, the American school, is like because it seems to be more based on like desired professions, like adventurer and healer, you know, yeah. traveler. So You're a healer. I am a healer. So I'm a very ambitious healer. <laughs> I want to heal the world. Um, so yeah, if combining my my Slytherin with my Pugwaji um, houses, um, I'm a very ambitious healer. Absolutely. So I actually think the American schools, um, in a lot of ways, make a lot more sense because rather than shaping a personality, they more suggest maybe a kind of profession somebody might be interested in. And I know that um, I would be uh, I would be a Pugwaji for sure if I if I went to Elvermoney. Personally, I would love to see TV show based on Elvermoney. Yeah, I, I that would, that would actually be really cool. That. Yeah, 
I would I actually like to see Queenie's backstory. Yes. She's kind of an empath, you know, and she's, she's just, my favorite and fantastic beast. I love her so much. I yeah, I think she I think she's fascinating. I think it would be an interesting storyline. Absolutely. Well she's a legitimate, so she is someone who is very good at empathy. She's someone who's very good at not only reading other people's thoughts but connecting with them empathically and emotionally. Um and I think that's what makes her uh, really a really great character and I imagine a healer if she ever wanted to become one and she was of course uh, in Pugwudgie yeah I, ju- I just don't know why they don't just get on with it and start making a Harry Potter television show or Harry Bar- Potter television shows in general just right. shows right yeah perhaps uh, yeah I would love to see the American one I would just love to see brand new characters taking place in Elvermoni um just the different schools and their adventures. I would love to see what that's like. Petition. Get out there. They're doing yes. it for Star Wars. Why not <laughs> Harry Potter? Yes. You know, I, I got a chance to read her um, Harry Potter therapy that just came out a couple weeks ago. And to actually sit there and go through it, it touches the feels. It's it's so <laughs> amazing. And I'm not just saying that because you're my wife. but <laughs> Thank you. And I know it's going to help a whole bunch of people. Can you please just... T- you know, speak more about your book? Sure. Um, I have been a Harry Potter fan for so many years and it is my number one fandom and it's one that helped me discover myself and the more people I meet at, whether it's comic conventions or Harry Potter conventions, the more I realized that these series helped change thousands and thousands of people's lives. And I wanted to put out a self-help book specifically for Harry Potter fans using Harry Potter metaphors and examples to help people understand how to better cope with their own depression, anxiety, trauma, overwhelm, bullying history, or, or any other obstacles that they're facing. So um, I put together this self, self-help book. Um, It is based on evidence-based therapy, which means research-supported therapy, specifically acceptance and commitment therapy. And um, it also incorporates self-compassion, which means the practice of being kind to ourselves, the same kind of kindness um, that maybe Dumbledore would show us. Um, And my goal is to make it easier uh, and more accessible for Harry Potter fans to be able to read and understand about how to better manage their mental health struggles. The ebook actually is free. Uh, It can be downloaded through Smashwords. So you can search for Harry Potter Therapy on Smashwords. Um, And the hard copy is available on Amazon as well as certain select bookstores like Mysterious Galaxy. And all the author proceeds of the um, of these books are going to support mental health nonprofit organizations. Did you hear that, people? <laughs> it's going to Lumos and what other charities? Uh, the four charities that are going to be supported through um, Harry Potter Therapy are uh, Lumos, which is J.K. Rowling's um, foundation to help foster children be um, either um, to, to remain with their families or to have some kind of a family rather than to be placed in orphanages. Um, the other organization is Good Samaritan, which is uh, a UK crisis network text line, um, as well as two US nonprofit organizations such as the Crisis Text Line in the United States and RAIN, which is uh, a crisis network for sexual assault survivors. 
And that wraps up this episode of Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on all social media under Superhero Therapy. And my website is www.superhero-therapy.com. Thanks for listening in. We'll be back on October 28th.